Um, have you ever overlooked something or, or someone? Um, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but Friday night, Friday night, Sydney and I, were, we were hanging out with the, the, uh, the kids. They had training for their job um, this summer, and um, Sydney, Sydney, Sydney turned to me, and she's like, um, man, we should play that game. They were playing a little game called Chubby Bunnies. Have you heard of that game, Chubby Bunnies? Yeah, it's a great game. Um, don't ever play it because people die. Anyway, um, that was the legal disclaimer that I'm supposed to give you. So um, they were playing a wimpy version with mini marshmallows. <laughs> what is that about? So Sydney's like, I, we should play that. So we went to the grocery store to get marshmallows so we could play chubby, like the real size marshmallows, right? We thought about jumbo. Like, I have a big enough mouth for it. I don't think Sydney could have pulled it off. But um, we, we settled on the regular size um, marshmallows. And so we're looking everywhere. And I, I don't know, um, they used to have like game shows where you go to the grocery store, right? And like you had to like find things in the grocery store. I would never win that game show. I'm terrible. Like I'm the guy that's walking the aisles like this, right? I'm just kind of in the same aisles. I'm just kind of, I'm reading the stuff and I, I can't find anything. You know, what I'm looking for in a grocery store is at the cash register. It's called candy, right? I know where to find that. Um, so we're looking for the marshmallows, and Sid and I are on the, sa- we're on the same aisle, and we're just looking back and forth. We're walking, and then Wendy comes walking up the aisle, and I'm, and I'm like, where are the marshmallows? And, and she said what I hate to hear, right in front of you, because I looked right in front of me, and I didn't see them. And so now I feel like even more of an idiot, right? And she's like, they're right in front of you. And then she said the words that if you've ever heard these words, you know that you've overlooked something. She said, if it was a snake, yeah, see, that's what she said. And then there they were. They were literally right in front of us, right? So then we went home and made a video, and the rest is history. Anyway, um, we overlook stuff all the time. Uh, teenagers, preteens, students in the house, how many times have you made a bad grade on a test question because you ran through the instructions too fast and overlooked something important, right? Um, that never happens in our house. Ever. Adults, how many times have you had to pay more because you overlooked tax deductions, right? How many times have you um, tried to set up a budget And the budget was busted the first two weeks because you overlooked certain expenses. It's usually labeled M-I-S-C, right? Miscellaneous is where you bust your budget. Um, Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to meet a man and a woman. And we're going to see this man overlook. Like, I overlooked marshmallows. That's terrible, right? Um, We overlook tax breaks. We overlook um, expenses in the budget. But this guy is going to overlook Jesus, and he's going to overlook people. And that's, that's what we don't want. We don't ever want to be the church that overlooks people. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to um, read f- verses 36 through 50. I just want to share with you um, just some, some, hopefully, some things we can learn from this man's mistakes. Have you ever heard the phrase, a wise man learns from his mistakes? Yes? Well, a wiser man learns from other people's mistakes, Right? So we're going to hopefully learn from this guy's mistakes and not make the same ones. Um, but let's start, let's start by reading uh, in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says this, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I want you to know right, right up front, um, just 
just as we're kind of doing this, this little background stuff, this is uh, going to be a little section called a Pharisee and a prostitute, so just hang with me. Um, it was not uncommon for Jesus to eat with Pharisees. Now, and if you look in, in the Gospels and read, there, there were multiple times he went and had dinner with Pharisees. It almost always ended up awkward. This is going to be no different, okay? Because of verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life, anybody relate? Well, at least to the English version in the NIV, right? Um, most commentators think that she was a prostitute. That's where probably we stopped relating. But anyway, um, we can relate to the sinful life part, right? It's, your sin might be different than hers. But um, most commentators would say this, this woman was like the town harlot. She was the prostitute. Everybody knew her stuff, right? So when she, when she walked in the room, it was like... <gasps> When a woman in this town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, it was not uncommon, again, when people were in a house with a teacher, it was not uncommon for people on the street to just pop into the house. We think American culture, right? We think, like, this is my house, and I don't care how well I know you, neighbor, don't come to my house unless I invite you over, right? And that's, that's American. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make you a bad person, but it also makes it tough to relate to what's going on here. So in Jesus' day, in this, in this town, if there was a gathering of, of really smart people to listen to a smart teacher, people would just literally wander off the street into the house. This was not uncommon. What was uncommon was it was a prostitute, okay? If, you still with me? All right. So um, she brings an alabaster jar of perfume. And here's where it starts to get awkward. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Um, now, before we go any further, I got to make sure you're seeing what's going on. Because if you came to my house and we ate, then we're sitting at a table, right? And we're in a chair, yes. And we're, we have our ter- chairs pulled up to the table. I don't know how you tell your kids to eat, but my kids love to get as far as away from the table as possible, right? And then just like hover the food towards them, right? So we're like, scoot your chair up, right? So when you're sitting up at the table, where are your feet? Under the table. That's American eating. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But in Jesus' day, when they would recline at the table, they didn't have lazy bull recliners where you like kick the chair out, pop the thing. You know, they, they reclined by laying on the ground. Usually there were pillows involved. They would lean on one of their elbows and they would eat and their feet would go behind them. I'm not going to do it for you. You just have to imagine, okay? So they're reclining on the pillow. It's all down on the floor and they're eating with one hand and their feet are behind them. And so this woman walks in. She's a prostitute. She walks into the room. And she is standing behind Jesus. So Jesus is reclined horizontally on the floor, feet back. And she's standing right here. And as she's standing just near him, she begins to weep. And I don't know how you are at crying. Some of you are probably really pretty criers. I'm an ugly crier, right? Like if I'm crying and I'm like, it's, there are definitely tears, but there's snot involved and there's sweat involved. And there's just a lot of body stuff going off my face on the stuff around me, right? Um, don't judge me. I've seen some of you cry. It's ugly with you too, right? So she's weeping. And as she's weeping, just tears are flowing. And it says here that tears are falling onto his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And, and at some point she realized that. And so she kneels down and it says that she wiped them with her hair now listen 
That's awkward. Right? Because she knelt down, and, and in this culture, women wore their hair up. And this is crazy, women. I, I can't believe, like, we've come so far, right? But in this culture, if a woman let her hair down in public, that was grounds for divorce. Some of you are like, I ain't been happy in my marriage for a while. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Put your hair back up now. <laughs> Keep that bun tight. Um, so so she, she's, it, was, it was a shameful thing to let your hair down in public, but she, she lets her hair down in public. And she kneels down and she begins to, to dry her tears off of his feet with her hair. And then she poured perfume on them. This is expensive perfume. Um, I will say there are, there are three other examples in the gospel of a place where um, somebody poured perfume over Jesus. Um, this is not a parallel example. This one's all by itself, okay? But this is still expensive perfume. It cost her something. That's not what we're talking about this morning. But, you know, your worship's going to cost you something. And we, we live in a land of free. And it's hard to get people to attach value to things that are free. This cost her something. It cost her reputation. She pulled her hair out. It cost her financially. She, she had this alabaster jar. I, I read some commentaries that said this, this perfume was probably what she used to, to cover up the scent from man to man. This is not just like perfume off the, the counter at home. Like, eh, it's kind of old. This is like what she used to make her living. She's pouring it on Jesus. That's intimate and a little bit awkward. Would you agree? Men in the room are like, yeah, kind of weird, right? But you know the weirdest part about all this? I don't know if you follow this or not, but no words have been spoken. No one has said anything. They're eating. Woman walks in, town prostitute, and she starts to cry. And like, can't you just imagine all the air is just sucked out of the room and it, I mean you've heard of pregnant pause this is like pregnant ready to go have birth pause right I mean this is a huge pregnant pause there is nothing being said and, and the first time anything is said it's not even out loud look the Pharisee thinks it in his head when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Let's just talk real quick about, just make sure you got this background. I'm going to make three points, okay? Um, one, she is lower than low. Simon is, we'll find out later, is this is Pharisee's name. He's thinking about her, not good thoughts, Right? And he's not only judging her, but he's beginning to judge Jesus. He's beginning to overlook who Jesus is as he overlooks this woman. And so Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Now he's got his attention. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. I know none of you have any denarii with you, um, but denarii was a day's wages, okay? So let's just bring this into North Carolina. The average daily, the average hourly wage in North Carolina is $9.96 an hour. So let's just be generous and round it up to 10, okay? 
So that means if you work eight hours a day, you're making $80 a day average wage, okay? So 500 denarii is $40,000. And 50 denarii is $4,000. And so here's what Jesus says. He says, there were two men that owed a money lender. One owed him $40,000 and the other $4,000. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. That's a good day, right? That's a good day. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? And that's where I want to stop for now. I want to ask you the same question that Jesus asked Simon. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Or do you overlook this woman? Overlooking people begins by overlooking Jesus. And Simon is guilty of both. I don't want us to be guilty of both. And so I'm going to give you three things, okay? You got note sheets. Um, these are points two, three, and four. I want to give you three, three things, three dangers that we face that can cause us to overlook people, okay? Here's the first one. We overlook what we undervalue. We overlook what we undervalue. Um, probably this is the simplest way, the surest way to overlook something is just to undervalue it. So you can see, I mean, I've read enough of this story, haven't I? That Simon does not value this woman, right? Simon is like, well, she's a sinner. I mean, she's, she's like the town prostitute. Are you kidding me? She's in, and she's in my house? And then because he doesn't value her, he also starts to not value Jesus. Do you see how he did that? Well, well, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is. See, he overlooked Jesus and he overlooked this woman because he undervalued both of them. We'll, um, uh, we'll see this theme played out in like, 11 more chapters, right? Luke 18, 11 through 12, Jesus tells the story of a tax collector and a Pharisee. And, and they're both at the altar. And the tax collector's looking down. And he's just like, oh, God, you have mercy on me. And the, the Pharisee is looking down as well at the tax collector saying, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like this man. We'll, we'll get into that more when we get there. But, but that's, that's how you undervalue people. And I'm really, I'm struggling through Luke, okay? Um, I was raised in church, so I know what it's like to be um, a church person and to have preachers talk bad about church people. It makes you feel horrible. I get it. I'm not trying to make the Pharisees look bad. They're doing that all on their own in this story so far. Have you noticed that? Like, it feels like every time we're looking in Luke, it's like there's another story about a Pharisee doing something else that's stupid. And here's another one. Where a Pharisee's got Jesus in his house and now he's overlooking a woman and he's overlooking Jesus because he's undervaluing both of them. And, and this happens when we miss the meaning. So here's a woman. She's crying. Her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. She takes her hair down. She wipes his feet with her hair. She pours this oil on top of Jesus. And so what Simon sees is he sees weeping, wiping, and cleaning. But what was really going on was repentance, worship, and giving. And so when we undervalue people, we miss the meaning of what God's doing in their life. S Simon only saw one thing, a mess. 
But she was worshiping at Jesus' feet. She was repenting. She was giving of her own perfume, her own wages. She was giving that willingly. And he missed all of that. Don't miss the meaning of what's going on around you. We overlook things when we undervalue them. Here's the, here's the, the second one. We overlook when we're overbooked. We overlook when we're overbooked. Um, have you ever tried to find something when you're in a hurry? God, now that'll make you miss stuff, right? I mean, then it, it can be literally in front of your face. And if you're in a hurry and you're stressed and you're frantic and you're like, you know, not that you would ever do this, husbands, but like if, you're, if your husband's in the car beeping, oh, it's like, okay, first of all, I don't need that anymore. I just need a gun, right? <laughs> don't go kill a spouse, right? Um, so like if you're, if you're just frantic and you're all, and like, oh, I think I've, like I, th- I thought about, I thought about Jeremy. We, we had him in, in one of our, in our first youth group. We went to Guatemala on a mission trip. And the night before we were supposed to go home, the night before, he came down to the van and said, I can't find my passport. We're in Guatemala, people. I mean, don't know if I mentioned that because you're looking at me like, so? We're in Guatemala. You're not coming home to the States, right, without a passport. And so I am a youth pastor. I am full of compassion. I'm beginning to, to well up with tears. But my pastor was not a man of compassion and he said, I guess you'll be living in Guatemala. <laughs> and I kind of chuckled. And he, and he looked at me and said, I guess Paul's going to be here with you till you can get your passport. And I was like, oh, dude, you had to go look again. <laughs> you better. I got a wife. We go looking again. I go, so he went back up. And, and he look, I said, you turn everything upside down and exhale before you do it. And so he went up, and sure enough, five minutes later, he came back down, big old smile, he found his passport. I said, where was it? It's in my backpack. <laughs> he had turned his backpack upside down the first time, but he was, he was so frantic, he's just shaking it like that. So he's probably shaking it even harder into the backpack, and he just missed it. Like, like, when we're overbooked, when, there's, when we miss the margin in our lives, we will start to overlook stuff. Man, we're, we're so, man, our, our lives are so frantic, so hurried, so overwhelmed. We're, we're just like, like Peter, I can't prove this. There's not a verse that says this, but I'm just reading into the text. Simon missed the moment because he had no margin for the moment. I mean, he's a Pharisee. His entire life is rules, procedures. I mean, make sure you do this and make sure you do it for the right five reasons so you get credit for it and so you can be holy and like make sure I'm standing the right way and wearing the right stuff and saying the right words. Make sure I'm not like that lady. I mean, there's so much, there's no margin. He's so constricted. And he missed Jesus because of it. You want to make sure that you never see other people? Here's how you do it. Get busy. Wear yourself out. Burn the candles at both ends and then get creative and find a way to burn it in the middle as well. That'll guarantee you will miss people. You will overlook people. You will never have time for the people that God brings into your life. Here's a few places, a few areas that we miss margin. This is just real practical life stuff, okay? Here's a few areas where we miss margin. If you're taking notes, you want to jot this down underneath this, this main point. We miss the margin in generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 
10 and 11, I'm just going to paraphrase. It says this, that, this, that the God, God can give you seed so you can sow it, so that you can have a harvest, so that you can have everything you need to be generous on every occasion, so that your generosity can result through us in praise to God. So God gives us what we need, but if we squander what he gives, we never have enough. It doesn't matter how much or how little you make. If you spend 101% of it, you're never going to get ahead. And you're never going to feel like you have the margin in your finances to be generous. I want us as a church to be generous. But to do that, you've got to have margin. You've got to be able to say, look, I'm not spending 101%. I'm going to spend 85%. I'm going to honor God first. I'm going to have enough in my budget so that I can give generously. We were watching Fox News. Don't boo. We were watching Fox News this week, and we saw this stat that over two-thirds of our country could not handle a $1,000 crisis. And, and they broke it down. Like, even people that make six figures, some of them were like, I think it was like 27, 28% of those people were like, I can't handle that. Oh, now, $1,000, that's a crisis. Would you agree? Yeah, like right now you're going, I don't know if I can handle a $1,000 crisis. That's a crisis for sure. But two-thirds of our country could not handle that. Margin allows you to handle that. Pegging the needle in our finances leaves no margin for generous giving. I don't know, I mean, this woman, she had some kind of margin in her life because she just dumped a bunch of perfume on Jesus' feet. Here's the place that we miss the margin, time. Um, when our schedules are full, we find ourselves with nothing left to trust God with. Um, Psalm 127, I got I to gotta get through this quick. Psalm 127, some of you have been looking for a life verse, and I've got it for you, okay? Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. This is going to be your new life verse. You're going to love it. I chuckled last night when I thought about this. I'll tell you why in a minute. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. You're like, what? Here's verse 2. This is your life verse. Okay, you ready? Got a highlighter? Psalm 127, 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. But God grants sleep to those he loves. Huh. You're like, that's my life verse and I'm claiming the mattress, right? <laughs> I hear you. Think about this. Sleeping is not only a gift from God, but it's a way of us saying to God, I trust you. I trust you so much that I don't need to stay up all night to make sure things are happening. I can sleep. It's crazy, isn't it? Now, it's funny that I'm saying this today, because last night I went to bed at 2.30-ish and woke up at 5.10-ish. Because prom was last night, and so we had kids come over to eat pancakes after prom and bacon. Everything's better with bacon, except 2 o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> and then this morning, we're, you know, I, I got here like 20 after 6 or so and to help set up, and there were like all these people in here already setting up. It was crazy. You're going to have seasons. I get it. Like finals, right, when you're cramming. You're going to have seasons when you can't sleep as much as you want to. But, man, we, we cram our schedules so full. And we wear it like a badge of honor. And sometimes all it is is we don't trust God to take care of things, so we'll take care of it. And if your schedule's that full, 
you have no margin. People that God sends you will be a distraction instead of an opportunity. You will, we talk about this all the time, you will hate trips to Walmart. I mean, most people do, but you'll be like, oh, just, if I can just get in and get out without seeing anybody, that'll be a win. But sometimes God sends people to you, right? We've learned that. He takes us places to get us to people. And here's, here's one thir- a third way that um, we miss the margin. And, and I'm just doing this as, as confession, right? We miss the margin in prayer. Matthew 21 This is Jesus talking. Matthew 21, 13. Jesus said, it's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. There's not one time of the day that's better than another. So if I asked you to raise your hand if you're a morning person, five of you would raise your hand, right? <laughs> if you're a night owl, like, and that would probably be a generational thing, right? There's not one time better, better than others. And so if you're not a morning person, you've, you've heard preachers say, well, if you really love Jesus, you'll give him your, like, the first part of the day. And you're like, I can't even give, like, me. I can't even see. I've got a, I need a pot of coffee, Right? hook the coffee IV up, and maybe I can even breathe. So some of you are like, at night, man, you're wide awake, and that's your best time of the day. I don't know what your best is, but whatever your best time of the day is, perhaps giving that to God in prayer would create margin in your life. Luke 5.16 says that Jesus often went to lonely places to pray. I read that the other day, as I was preparing for this, I thought, God, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. How much more do I need to often, more often, be with God? The point here is that these are three specific areas in our lives that we could be less booked, right? We could be less booked. We could add more margin in those lives so that we could really see people in Jesus and situations. So we... we um. We overlook when we're overbooked. And then here's the last part. We overlook when we're insulated. We overlook when we're insulated. Um, the most important part of that would be in. I want you to remember that word. We, we overlook people when we're insulated. Something about when our lives are bent inward, we overlook people. So Simon, I was just jotting back through this again. Simon missed this woman. Because he was concerned with himself. Let me just show you a couple of ways where I see that. Um, verse 39. So we're back in Luke 7. Luke 7, verse 39. He says, if this man were a prophet, that one simple statement reveals that Simon, Simon had a preconceived idea of what the prophet should have looked like. So, right? so it's his grid. It's about his grid. He's inward. Jesus is not lining up with the Jesus I expected to see. And so this Jesus must be wrong because I can't be. When you're inward, when you're insulated, you miss things. You overlook people. Um, verse 40, he said, tell me, teacher. I thought that was funny because tell me, teacher. And if you read the Gospels, you know how many times you'll see people that call Jesus Lord? Tell me, Lord. He didn't say tell me, Lord. He said tell me, teacher, because Simon's concerned with learning. He's concerned with nothing wrong with learning. He's concerned with like like validating his system the way he sees it teach me something Jesus so I can tell all my friends that Jesus taught me something 
But if his heart was in it, I think he would have said, teach me, Lord. Verse 43, this reminded me of a parent winning an argument with a teenager. (laughs) Jesus says, like, he tells them the parable and he says, so who do you think will love him more? And Simon replies, I suppose the one. I guess you're right. I suppose. It wasn't a win because it made Simon look bad. He wasn't jumping to give him the answer. He was like, oh, man. I guess you're right. Because he's inward focused. And in verses 44 through 46, we haven't read those yet. After Jesus told Simon that he had judged correctly, he, read, he told him these verses. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. That sounds weird, but in that day, it was common for men to kiss each other on the cheek, okay? So don't, we don't have to do that here. Handshakes and it's all good. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus is saying is, Simon, like, you, he didn't serve Jesus because I, I think Simon felt like Jesus should have just been glad to have been in Simon's house. It was customary back in the day to wash your guest's feet. And Jesus says, you didn't wash my feet, but she's been washing with her tears in her hair. And Simon's kind of like, dude, you're in my house. I'm Simon, the Pharisee. I think Simon was so thrilled that Jesus, he's in my house. He didn't even see Jesus and serve Jesus. Because I think his heart was to be served by Jesus. And how many times do we miss opportunities to serve others because we think we should be served first? We're insulated. Now I want you to hear this, okay? When we set up a system in which we are the hero... We'll be so focused inwardly on ourselves that we'll miss Jesus being the hero for others like this woman. Please, church, can the gathering not become a place that is a system set up to make us the good guys and everybody else the bad guys? Because that's what happened in this house. Simon was the good guy and the prostitute was the bad person. And he overlooked her. He overlooked what Jesus was doing for her. So what does this mean for you and me? Um, Two things, at least two things. You can probably think of a lot more, but here's at least two things. If at times you feel like you're overlooked, God, and I can relate to that. I mean, I don't want to, don't raise your hands, but I'm telling you, man, when I was in middle school, I was never picked on a team. Ever. Here's how I got on the team. I guess we'll take Jenkins. (laughs) I never got picked. I was just the last guy against the wall. And so I just, by default, got on somebody's team. Man, I know what it's like to get overlooked. I know what it's like to stand in a room and almost literally you are screaming, somebody see me. And the first takeaway from this passage is that Jesus sees you. He sees me. 
I mean, if he could see a prostitute for more than a prostitute, if he could see a sinful woman who all they, all they knew her as was the center of the city, and he saw her as a worshiper and a giver and a repented person, man, there's hope for me and you. He sees us. We are not overlooked, but we are bad at overlooking people, but Jesus never overlooks anybody. She might have been overlooked by Simon. She was not overlooked by the only hero in the story. And it, and it means this, that we can't afford to undervalue others or overbook and insulate ourselves. It means that people matter to us because they matter to God. And, and the way I said it in the big idea is, is like this. We see people because Jesus sees people. We can't afford to overlook the people that Jesus sees. We see people because Jesus sees people. You could take out the word sees and say we've got to value people because Jesus values people. If people matter to God, they've got to matter to us. Don't overlook the people to whom Jesus is sending us. Let me read you one last verse and then we'll wrap this up. John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to his disciples. We're picking this up right in the middle of a conversation where the disciples are trying to get Jesus to eat something. And Jesus is telling them that he has food. His food is to do the will of the Father who sent him. And then he says this, do you not say, John 4, 35, four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, just listen to this, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. See people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up with the same question I asked you at the very beginning. The same question that Jesus asked Simon. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Now, you may not know the town prostitute. But I bet you know people who feel overlooked. Do you see them? Jesus said, Open your eyes and see the harvest. What Jesus didn't say was, pray really hard about it. Pray, just pray super hard. Learn the Greek for open your eyes. Say it over and over again until it sounds Pentecostal. (laughs) And then wait until you're moved with your emotions. And then go. He just said, dude, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Church, open your eyes. And see the harvest. They're everywhere. I see dead people everywhere. (laughs) They're everywhere. Do you see them? Do we see them? And you know what will happen when we do? We'll do anything to reach them. When we see people the way Jesus sees people, you can get adults to wear shirts to say, I can help. 
when you see people the way Jesus sees people, they won't just wear the shirt. They'll show up at a church in a pub at 6 in the morning and set it up so the people that Jesus sees can come see Jesus. That's what happens. When we see people the way Jesus sees people, people that are loved by Jesus begin to give even more generously so that more people that don't know Jesus can see Jesus. People that see Jesus put margin in their lives so that, <laughs> so that at 2 in the morning, people are still at their house eating bacon. Because <laughs> we're about people, right? We're about people because Jesus was about people. When we see people like that, we'll do anything so they can see Jesus. And that's the lesson that Simon, I hope, learned. I don't know, right? We don't know what happened beyond this. We know some Pharisees followed Jesus. And I'd like to think that Simon was one of them. That something about watching this life be transformed in front of his eyes got his attention. And he suddenly realized, wait a second, I'm overlooking people just like this woman all the time. And I don't want to overlook them. People are all around you. Jesus sees them and he's sending you to them. And I want you to see people because Jesus sees people.